beginning. Welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. My name is Sean Ram, alongside Joshua Black. Josh, what's going on? Well, Sean, nothing much, but uh, we do have video again. So if you're listening to this on, I guess, whatever iTunes or whatever you're listening to, uh, we're actually recording this also on video. So uh, if you didn't know, we have a YouTube channel. This is going to be on. And so I'm really excited to continue to work on that, which is fabulous. Yeah, it's very fun. Uh, here we are doing video again, and uh, it's just something new and exciting that we get to try out and, uh, you know, just expand what we're doing. So, Joshua, you have you wanted to mention something that was coming up for you. I did. Yes. Yeah. So I know I said I wasn't going to do any more talks until I defend my thesis, um, which would probably be in a month or so. But lo and behold, I have a talk. <laughs> and so if you live in the Sarnia area, I'll be doing a talk uh, at the St. Joseph's Hospice on September 12th at 6.30 p.m. And so if you go to the griefdreams.ca website and you go under the Grief Dreams tab and there's presentations, all the contact information is on there. It's free for you to go to um, and all the contact information is there for you to reserve your ticket. So um, if you live in that area, if you know someone who lives in that area, please check it out. Because uh, after that, uh, who knows what I'll be. Awesome. Uh, and before we get to our guests, I just wanted to give a shout out to all the listeners across the world, you know, especially Canada, United States. You guys have been listening a lot. Australia has been listening recently a lot. So shout out to you guys. Um, and let's get into it. So today we have with us Orly Culverhouse, and she is an accredited music therapist um, and children's program coordinator working in a hospice setting in southwestern Ontario. Her work includes supporting children, youth, and their families facing a terminal illness or death of a loved one, as well as residents of hospice and their families. Orly is currently completing her master's degree in social work through the University of Windsor. Uh, so Orly, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's not intimidating at all that you shouted out to the whole world for <laughs> introducing me. You never know who's listening, right? You know, there's Australia, I think it's... Turkey, Germany. Um, it's coming in a little by little. I mean, I'm not going to say, you know, it's obviously overwhelming, but, you know, it's amazing that we could actually have that reach. We're heavy in North America, but, you know, everywhere in the world, people are listening. So uh, don't be too anxious. <laughs> no, that's really, that's like super cool. Oh, that's good. That's good. Because I know we talked before. This is your first time on the podcast. So yeah, I know like anytime you realize where people can listen to this, it, it is overwhelming and it can be, but you're a superstar. And you know, I've met you, what, it's been a couple of years now at Camp Aaron. Um, and you're doing some stuff, uh, the music therapy there. And was it probably what, two or three years ago, right? Yeah, I want to say, was it 2015? Yeah, I want to say it was 2015, but I, okay. I'm not sure. I did it for a couple of years. I don't know if you, and then I, the year that we met, I didn't do it the next year. So I don't know if you, mm -hmm. I don't know if you did it the next year. <laughs> no, I was, uh, I became busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, like it's in the way, hey? Yeah, it definitely does. And do you want to explain what Camp Aaron is for those people who don't know? Absolutely. And I mean, I, uh, I was uh, asked to come and work for Camp Aaron. And so I definitely was not on the leadership team or anything like that. But from my understanding, Camp Aaron is a, a free sleepaway camp that usually goes from like a Friday to a Sunday for children, I believe, ages six to 17 who have had, who've experienced the death of a loved one. And I believe it has to be, and this I might not be right about this, it needs to be uh, like a direct family member, so a sibling or parent loss. I remember seeing a lot of sibling and parent loss at Camp Aaron when we went. And uh, and so there was a couple of years there where I went and I was kind of the music therapist 
on site and uh, on the Saturday I led um, like a drumming circle um, focusing kind of on emotions and emotional expression and uh, it was so much fun it was really like the first time that I ever worked with bereaved children was at Camp Aaron and uh, it's funny when you like look back and think about you know the things that have kind of tilted my path to where I am now. Camp Aaron was definitely one of those things because I don't know if I would have had the courage to apply for the job that I have now, which is predominantly working with bereaved children if I hadn't had that experience, you know? Yeah, that's so interesting. That's, it's, that's so interesting. I remember uh, when I saw you do your thing, I was like, whoa, like you really felt the, like the, you could tell the groove and the kids were involved, the owls were involved, you had everyone moving and shaking. Uh, with all your different instruments. Uh, so I think, yeah, it was really cool. And I'm glad we finally got you on. Cause I know we wanted you on right in the beginning, but we were filming live, I believe. So now it's, you know, it's, it's through, uh, you know, through the telephone, which is great. So I'm glad we can uh, get you on today. So I'm, I'm really curious, like what actually, what is music to you? Like, so were you really into music prior to becoming the music therapist? Like was music a big part of your life? I would definitely say so. Um, I started piano lessons when I was probably four, and um, I loved that. I did music for young children, if anybody is aware of what that is, and that was so much fun. Um, and then I was also in the choir um, at church, and uh, I did these, like a lot of educational music programs for like small children, and I really, really loved that. And uh, then uh, in my like preteen years, I was in the, you know, the youth band at church, which uh, was, you know, very unexciting. And uh, but we thought it was really exciting. So it was my first time being in kind of like a band. Um, yeah. And I mean, through high school, I was in the band I did um, like coffee shop shows with my friends. And um, I did a lot of musical theater as well. So definitely um, something that was kind of always going on in the background or always kind of the constant throughout my life. Um, and, uh, you know, I love, yeah, I love music. I love listening to music. I love singing. Um, so definitely I was a big, I was, I was very into music, but I, I knew for myself that I didn't want to go into performance, which before I even knew what music therapy was, I, I, in my mind, it was, you know, you could, your, your paths where you either became a music teacher or you became a performer. Um, and I knew that I didn't want to become a performer for sure. And I wasn't really sure on the teaching thing. Um, but neither of those really fit for me. So when I found out, you know, that music therapy was a thing, it was like, holy, holy moly, like I, you know, this is, this is exactly what I want to do. Like this feels like it was made for me. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You know, that's interesting. So was it through, because you, you seem to do a lot of live performing um, when you were younger. So through that, you kind of figured out that, you know, this isn't for you doing the live performance thing. What, so what other aspects of music did you focus on? Like what is involved in music therapy? Like, do you produce the music yourself? Yeah. And I mean, that's different for every music therapist. So I guess to kind of give the, uh, everybody listening, um, a definition of music therapy, um, music therapy is a, a discipline, like a therapeutic dis discipline in which, uh, music or musical elements are used by an accredited therapist. So in Canada, you would have the letters MTA or music therapist accredited. Um, they use music and musical elements with a client or clients within, you know, the context of a therapeutic relationship to promote change, to promote well-being. Um, and the ways that you do that can be different depending on what the goals are for the client and what 
you know, the personal choice of the therapist, like what they gravitate towards. So I can tell you in palliative care and hospice, which is where I work now and where I do a lot of um, music therapy sessions, it is predominantly, at least in our residents, um, live music at the bedside. Um, so that's usually um, either improvised music or it's, you know, specific songs that people request. Um, and then it depends on what your goals are, but a lot of it is, I would say, um, familiar music that people, either the loved ones, like the family members or the resident themselves have requested. And then just exploring what that means to them, if it brings up memories for them, um, kind of facilitating maybe a life review or legacy work, that kind of thing. I have done also um, like songwriting and recording with clients as a form of legacy work. So, you know, um, you know, the wow. person who's dying. Yeah. 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 yeah it's That's cool. interesting. It so, happen. so you'll work with the, with the person and create music with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And like, so, I mean, Joshua can testify to this. Like I usually have quite a few instruments with me. Um, <laughs> it depends on, again, it depends on how well or how, um, you know, how well the person is um, at the time when we're having the session, a person who is obviously closer to death is not going to be able to engage in that same way. But um, the nice, like the amazing thing about music is that it is so adaptable and it's so flexible and really it doesn't matter, you know, how old you are. It doesn't matter, you know, what education level you have, anybody and everybody can participate and can engage. I mean, obviously you have, there are some interventions that are more, active and where people are more engaged but then somebody can just be listening and that's still that's still engaging in music therapy you know yeah um look i i think it's an amazing amazing thing you know uh i'm a little biased in that like i i've grown up with music a lot i've studied a little bit um but i've always incorporated music in my life and i think it's just amazing the fact that you know uh people get that chance where you can essentially create anything you want and, you know, for me, and, and I'm sure for a lot of other people, music just brings out so much. It brings out emotion. It, it is truly a soundtrack of life. And if you can kind of help people have music, help people kind of deal with whatever they're dealing with, you know, it can have that type of impact, um, especially something as personal as what you're doing. Um, so, yeah, I think that's amazing. And even in, for, for example, even in the work that we do, you know, we've slowly added music to some of the podcasts that we're doing because, you know, we 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 get that vibe that goes along with it and, and it becomes a soundtrack to the episode, especially to the the dream episodes. And for me and, and I'm sure for Josh, it just it just adds so much. And it actually it makes me want to like usually I don't listen to episodes over and over again because, again, we're doing them, we're editing them. But those ones I'll listen to a few times because the music just adds so much more. Um, so amazing that you're doing that now, what sort of, how are they different with each, with, with the clients that you get, uh, for example, like with children or, or with adults, you know, how does that change with maybe what they're requesting or what they want to go with? Totally. That's a great question. And it, and again, it all depends on the goals that you're going for. So um, with children, often the goal is something to do with emotional literacy or emotional regulation. So we do a lot of work with kids, maybe with drums, saying, okay, can you play what happy sounds like? Can you play what sad sounds like? Um, as a tool for them to help develop their emotional literacy, because what we know about kids, 
um, at least bereaved kids, one of the, and, and I think we know this kind of in general, a child that has um, a lot of emotional literacy tends to do better than children who have lower levels of emotional literacy. And so in that way, it's a little bit kind of an indirect goal because um, we're not particularly necessarily working on the grief or talking about the person who's died, but we're building that skill because we know that that skill is going to help them kind of traverse through their grief journey. Whereas, you know, with, um, you know, an, an older person maybe who probably has emotional literacy and has lived a life that we're not going to be working on that goal. Um, we might be then instead, um, you know, talking about their life and what they've learned and giving them an opportunity to review their life or giving them an opportunity to maybe reminisce with their partner, with their family or, um, you know, and then there might even be in those settings, depending on, you know, where the person's at, there might be, um, we're trying to distract from pain or from nausea or those, those kind of physical symptoms associated with terminal cancer, for example, or what have you. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. Is Sorry. that, <laughs> I'm, I'm just wondering, um, so first and foremost, like that's interesting because it's like a language that you're teaching them as well, especially children, you know, teaching them to use like a, just a little bit of a different type of language to kind of uh, convey their emotions, you know, using instruments or, or music as a language. My, my next question though is, is how is it, why is it different for adults um, where you don't necessarily need to build those initial skills? Is it because they've had a lifelong to kind of associate music with their own experiences? Yeah, and I, again, I think it depends, right? Because um, probably, like, the answer is probably to that question. Um, but in a different setting, you know, with maybe adults with developmental disabilities, that kind of thing, there might be, you might need to actually work on emotions. It just is kind of the, what is what is it that typically people want to do when you are doing a, ses a session in the residence versus doing a session with kids? Um, I think that the common thing is that we are able to um, like provide this opportunity for people to engage with the music. I think that that's pretty common across the board um, because everybody, you know, or most people kind of have experiences of music and they can relate to that. Um, and yeah, like we're giving that, that opportunity to have another tool of expression, whatever that looks like for the person, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, for sure. And, and, you know, we all respond to different things. You know, we all respond to different types of like some people might enjoy being read to maybe, uh, you know, reading a book and stuff like that when they're visited, others might enjoy music a little bit more. So I think that's amazing that people have access to something like that. that and then people like you are doing that. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's, I, I definitely feel very fortunate to have, um, have the job that I have and be able to do the work that I do. I'm uh, really curious about with the children, working with the children, what does, when you ask them to say, what does happy sound like on a drum, let's say, what is, what do they do versus, let's say, anger or sadness? Uh, so, first of all, anger is always super loud. Like, I'm always, <laughs> it's, you know, uh, like, I don't think I've met a kid yet whose anger is quiet. Every once in a while, you get a kid who plays angry really quiet, and you think, oh, um, but uh, there's... <laughs> I know, and I, yeah, we've all been there when our anger has been really quiet. <laughs> so, um, I, again, yeah, like I hate defaulting to this, but it depends on each kid, but you can really, they really, um, 
they really think about it and really want to get into what their happy sounds like and um, how, you know, mine is different than his or, um, you know, how this, this is like, I, and like they, it's so cool. Like I love the, this part of my work is because, you know, um, kids have such profound answers to things. Um, and of course I can't think of any of them right now, but um, you know, like they, what the way that they describe why they chose to play happy that way, if they choose, like a lot of the times I'll just say, you can let the instrument speak for you, or you can kind of say why you chose to play that way, for example. Um, and some of the, the reasons that they come up with, it's just like, it blows you away, you know, like, um, yeah, so they definitely, I would say that, you know, happy is usually a little bit lighter, it might be a little bit more bouncy. Um, but again, it, it yeah, it varies from kid to kid. Yeah, and especially like I'm just look visualizing it in my brain, but like you you're you're adding so many senses to it. So they're not they're hearing it, they're touching it, um, you know, they're probably feeling it in in obviously feeling it in the instrument, but also in their body. It makes me think of yoga, you know, like sometimes you know, when you're in a yoga class, you know, you're you're breathing, you're trying to connect to your body, um, and you're trying to feel it all and, and you connect that much more. So I'm thinking with an instrument, and I've played instruments myself. There is a connection there. You kind of zone out, and I think that's that's so cool. That's that's like an amazing tool that you know children and people get to experience. Totally, yeah. And it, I mean, at least with kids, what what I've found and what we know about kids is that you you don't get a lot out of them necessarily verbally. So much of what we do with kids has to be done through play because that's how you can really um, you can really see how they're processing. You know, it's not like the typical the counselor client and you say, okay, tell me all your feelings because a child can't do that if they're, because they're not there in their development yet. And so using interventions like playing the drums or playing a game or drawing or any of those, um, you know, more play-based activities is where you're going to see um, really kind of what's going on and how the child is processing whatever has happened. That's so interesting. I, uh, I'm just thinking about it all because yeah, like even in the music I listen to, it changes based on what my emotions are. You know, like I remember when I was a high school kid, I was really into the uh, punk rock and even some of that screamo <laughs> was was really uh, really big. And that's very angry music, and I had a lot of suppressed anger. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, I knew Joshua back then in high school, and uh, he made a mixed cd back uh for me back then back then we used to you know obviously have cds and we used to make our own mixtapes on the cds and he so he right. made a cd for me and it was uh <laughs> the hardest stuff like it was like was heavy metal screaming and i was like i didn't think josh listened to this sort of stuff <laughs> like i'm like it's crazy uh it was cool to see that yeah. though it was really it was really awesome and, and uh but yeah i mean that just shows like you know a person, how they're reflective on the outside doesn't represent necessarily what type of music they might listen to because we all, I mean, for myself, I listen to a wide range of music, which depends on my mood, circumstance, environment, how I'm feeling, a lot of different things. So um, I think it's great. It's an, it's again, it's, it's an expression. It's, it's a beautiful expression uh, for people who might not be able to express themselves fully, especially children who get to get into something like that, that's visceral like that, you know, it's like hands-on and it, it's that type of outlet that a lot of people need. Absolutely. Yeah. I can't remember like now when I listen to that, that angry music or whatever, I, it, it blows my mind. I used to like it, you know, like I've changed so much along the way. 
So for you, Orly, like, yeah. did you see your music change? Like what bands you liked in the sense of the con- like the content and like the music flow as you aged? Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, walk us, walk us, like, walk us through oh, your no, life's uh, music soundtrack. <laughs> oh man, that would be that would take far too long and would be like far too embarrassing <laughs> for me. Um, but I can definitely identify. Back, Backstreet Boys. Was it Backstreet Boys? Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Okay, so my first, my I'm trying to think. My first, like three CDs that I owned myself were uh, Spice Girls. That was the first one. The second one was Aqua. Like this is like really going back. I can't hate. And then the third one. Oh man! Oh man! And then the third one that was like, and this was like total uh like teenage angst was avril lavigne's let go <laughs> yes. look, she was a oh, punk rock i gotta say look this is a good game i like this yeah. question <laughs> so my first two uh, tapes i can't even say cds tapes that i got i think i was like 12 ace of bass oh. I, I wanted oh, the nice. i wanted ace of bass and coolio gangsta's <laughs> paradise <laughs> so That's you know awesome. gosh, i think i think you have to ask answer that question now mm. Yeah, I was actually going with like, cause my brother was listening to a lot of music, so I adopted a lot of his stuff. So it'd be like Silverchair, Nirvana were the big ones that I was listening to like back to back. And they're like very, you know, heavy kind of stuff. So yeah. You're too cool for school. <laughs> yeah. You, you were cool yeah. right off the bat. I was I was jumping into weird things, but uh, no, I, I like all types of music. And uh, it, it was cool to think about that memory. And so you evolved from Backstreet Boys, Aqua, <laughs> Afro Levine. <laughs> And uh, now you're on to bigger and better what's, things. What's, <laughs> what's your what's your band right now like that your go to just to to play when you're driving? Ah, uh, you know, I I knew I knew I was gonna get this question. I was like, I can never answer. I can ne- I hate I can never answer those questions. Like, what do you like to listen to? Probably okay. The last I will look on my phone. The last band that I had on my phone, okay, was First Aid Kit, which is a Swedish folk duo. Um, they're sisters. <laughs> Mm, I think they're Swedish. Okay, you've got a nuanced yeah. uh, taste right now, you know. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah, have to listen I, to that now. Yeah. yeah. Shout out to uh, like Swedish folk, Swedish folk bands. <laughs> Actually, we've got know, a, we've, yeah, we've got a few uh, listeners. Yeah. Uh, we've got some listeners from Sweden. So if you give us a shout, if you guys know this band. And if they're not from Sweden, then I apologize. <laughs> I know that they're from a Nordic country. I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I would. Yeah, they're like female Simon and Garfunkel. Hmm. So I'm actually um, going on this. I find it, you know, when my dad died, like when he was alive, I he always listened to like Bob Dylan, um, Jimi Hendrix, uh, who's some other ones? Um, Van Morrison. Yeah, like all all of them. Really, Bob Dylan was a big a big thing, and. Because I had so much like anger towards him, I always thought his music was stupid and I never wanted to like hear it or play it. But only after he died, I started actually downloading the albums and I like the music. I'm not sure if it's because mm-hmm. it's attached to him, but I know when I listen to it, it reminds me of him. I'm like, it was actually really good music that I just, you know, because I had like a um an aggression towards him and, and who he was, I'm like, I don't I don't like that music because you like it, you know? Uh, do you see that, mm-hmm. you know, with um with people who are grieving how they'll go and listen to music that their loved one liked to almost feel connected absolutely and i yeah absolutely i think that's a really common theme that we notice or really i think when when 
someone we love has died, it's really you're 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 grasping at anything um, that would connect you to them, right? So for some people, it would be music, but for other people, it's food or it's going places that we used to go together, or if they can, I mean, if they can manage that, or it's because you you know when the person when they're gone, it's like you're just trying to I don't know. Um, yeah, desperately grasp any part of them, you know? Um, so yeah, that's a common thing that we see. That's probably more with our bereaved adults, which I, I and I don't work with that group as often, but um, yeah. Yeah, I know too, um, when people hear music, like even on the radio, they sometimes take it as a sign. Like it's it's very interesting what people take as like a sign that their loved one is like watching out for them in different ways. And, you know, I just like whether that, you know, it is or isn't, it's not really sort of the question is that at those moments, they feel the most loved and they can bring them to tears. You know, it's like that song hits the radio that they both loved and connecting to is like their wedding song or something. And then it just at that moment, they feel so much love from a song. Absolutely. Do, that do like that, that? that Oh, sorry. I was going to say, do you hear that? Like from the bereaved and people you work with? Totally. I, I'm, and again, probably more with our adult clients and I don't work with them as much, but even in my own experiences, you know, you have that, that feeling of, even if, even if you don't identify, I think with, um, you know, with that idea of presence or the spirit or whatever, um, cause that's different for everybody, but that, that feeling of connection, I guess, or attachment is what I would kind of describe it as. Speaking of emotional music, um, I want to ask you a question about what are some songs for you, and then maybe we'll get to the people that you work with um, that are particularly touching, that when you listen to them, you're just like, oh, God, this is putting me in a spot where all the emotions are coming in, tears might flow. Um, do you have one of those songs that you can think of? Ah, uh, this is, oh, man, I should have prepared for these questions. Um, hmm, that's a good question. Um, there's a song by Mumford and Sons called After the Storm, which definitely has some of the feels for me. There's another song by um, The Stage called Sadness Don't Own Me, which is another one that kind of, that's the one that's like kind of for me, but um, songs that like people re like request, if, if you're in that moment with them, then even a song that I find is maybe not emotionally charged for me, you kind of, you're feeling the room and understanding, I guess, or maybe observing what this song means for the people in the room and maybe the person that's dying, if it was their, for example, like their wedding song. Um, and so then even those songs that maybe would not be, you know, kind of the emotional ones for me, they can become that in the moment. Um, and so then I have to really make sure that I'm kind of grounded and, and not, um, you know, letting like myself be kind of carried away, like with the, with the music and that kind of thing. Um, one that is like pretty, I would say like popular or not popular, but requested often is Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. That one can be kind of hard hitting. Um, I love both sides now by Joni Mitchell. It's so good. <laughs> um, I'm going to write some of these yeah. down. Yeah. Put in yeah. the show notes. This is, this is good. I was going to say, um, yeah. because I'm guessing people that are dying may be older um, than, than we are. Do you have to learn the music or do you just like find the music on like YouTube or something or iTunes and play it for them? Like, is it you that's playing the stuff or 
are you listen or you're just playing the music through like a stereo? It's usually live music. So, um, oh, no, I, I mean, there are, there are kind of, Oh, does something happen? Is that okay? Did something happen? <laughs> no, no, no. Keep, keep going. Oh, I'm sorry, really no. yeah, excited to hear what you're going to say. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's all live music. So, um, you know, usually people are of, like you said, a certain age. And so I try to know a little bit of every genre from, you know, kind of a span of time. And usually I can find something or that if the person says, I like old country and Western, I can find something that, um, that they would like and appreciate. Um, and so most of the time it's live music. If there's, if someone requests something that I would not be able to replicate well, um, like I'm trying to think like, you know, something like really hard rock or screamo, for example, like if that's that person's music of choice and that's what they want to listen to, I'm probably not going to be able to replicate it very well. And so then maybe, you know, I usually have an iPad in the session. So maybe we would listen to that music together and then discuss it. But usually it's, it's live music. And so, and then, you know, like I, if, if someone requests a song that I don't know, I'm happy to learn it. Um, but you kind of have those old standards that um, people will often request. Um, sometimes I'll bring in a list of songs with me um, for people who just want to select them off the list. And then sometimes I, you know, we kind of scrap the songs all together and then we might do something more improvisational, which would be where maybe I'm just playing the guitar and improvising with my voice or, you know, the person is playing an instrument like an ocean drum or playing an instrument with me and I'm, we're making music together. Um, but traditionally, you know, it's usually more um, like I do a lot of old, I would say like a lot of old country, things like Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen, Elvis, uh, oh, Johnny wow. Cash, Patsy Cline. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be interesting as, as people age, as we age, because people are going to be like going into the rap because rap came afterwards. Right. So It'd be very interesting when people start requesting rap songs from you. <laughs> Drake, God's yeah, I haven't. I, I have. Yeah, I want to die to God's or, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I'm gonna do when that happens. I guess I'll have to up my skills because I am not a very good rapper. But you yeah, know. you're gonna because you are gonna get a lot of Drake, right? Especially in Canada here, in in Ontario. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Totally. I was um I was wondering um. I've heard, I've read some stuff about, you know, Alzheimer's patients or patients who have memory issues and music being really great for them. Have you experienced uh, working with someone who's had uh, memory loss or memory issues? Mm-hmm. So uh, right after I finished my internship, um, so after my undergrad, I moved to uh, Burlington, Ontario, so like the GTA, and uh, I was doing mostly in in palliative care, but I did have a couple of long-term care facilities that I went to. And I was really fortunate after my internship, I got hired there. And most of the work that I was doing was with um, elderly people who were on the locked units of the long-term care facilities who had like responsive behaviors or they were maybe exit seeking. Um, And, uh, you know, most of them had either Alzheimer's or dementia. Um, and they, it was so much fun to work with them. Um, every Sunday, uh, or not every Sunday, I think once a month we would have a dance. And so I would put on, uh, like big band music and cause, cause most like older people, like 
they have are used to dancing to swing music and not like just not like dancing like we would dance like like dances that they learned right and so if you would mm. say like to the residents you know oh we're gonna have our dance like come to our dance it's in the you know in the cafe or in the dining room whatever they would dance better than I can dance <laughs> and even people who were in like wheelchairs or whatever we would still you could still dance with them and just with their hands um but it's it's incredible. People who are nonverbal or can no longer speak can still sing if they know the song that you're singing. So and it's it, it's incredible to see, and it's such a powerful moment, especially if a family member is there, because you're you know you are they're feeling connected to their loved one. If maybe they haven't been able to speak to their person in however long, they can still sing to them. And for that moment, you know it's. Um, it's just different, you know? Yeah. That's crazy. That's powerful. Like, imagine some of these families who have, you know, uh, loved ones who are suffering. Um, like you said, they haven't heard them speak for a long time. They haven't heard them be them, their normal selves, almost like a different identity. And then, mu mm -hmm. you know, music comes on where they connect with and they, they have a glimpse of that old person again. It's incredible. Yeah, it's, it's so, I loved, I loved that work. They were so much fun to work with like um and and i think because um in a lot of ways they uh maybe they were like lower like they weren't as i don't know lower inhibitions i guess so you know if i handed a drum to an adult and said like we're gonna play drums you know you might get that oh i don't know i've never mm -hmm. like i i'm not sure if i know how to play but if you handed a drum to one of the seniors that i was working with they would just get right into it and it was just there was so you could just, uh, the work started like immediately. You know what I mean? Wow, that's so cool. I almost want to like learn how to do this kind of therapy because just you're like music's such a big part of our lives in how we function and, and what makes us feel good. And a lot of people say mm -hmm. they turn to music for all their emotions for the most part. If they want to feel happy, sad, and like it stays with us. And the power of music is phenomenal. Because I know I read a book back in undergrad with Oliver Sacks and he talks about how people that they, they couldn't function, they couldn't even dress themselves, but they're listening to music, they could. And it's like, there's something powerful about music that connects us to a place that's different from when we're not, you know, listening to music. So um, it's really cool, the work you're doing. And I could ask you a ton of questions, but actually, um, I want to ask you about how you got into the field um, and sort of like what kind of training that entails and then how you ended up working with the hospice and people who are dying. Totally. So um, I think I had mentioned before, you know, I was in grade 12 and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Um, I knew kind of I didn't want to do the music performance thing. Um, I knew that I wanted to help people like some, some sort of helping profession. I was thinking maybe psychology or counseling or something along those lines, but I wasn't really sure. And so my plan, you know, at the beginning of grade 12 was probably just to, you know, spend another year at home and, and kind of figure, figure things out. Um, but I went to you know how like sometimes universities will come to your high school and do presentations. So I, um, I signed up, you know, for a bunch of them and just uh, went to learn more. And I saw music therapy on a list of programs that were offered at this, at uh, this one university. And I never, I never heard of music therapy before. I didn't know it was a thing. Um, and so I stayed back after the presentation and just talked with the person who had come from the university about what music therapy was. And then when I went home, I, was just like uh, researching it and and um, trying to find it as much as I could. And it, it was really, really interesting, this idea of using 
music as a form of therapy to help people meet their goals. Um, and so I remember, I think I, my mom and I, uh, we drove down to Windsor one Saturday. They had like a, you know, like an information day on music therapy at the University of Windsor. Um, and, you know, they had different students speaking, but they had some of the teachers speaking. They were showing videos. And, um, you know, as I, I'm not a person who makes decisions really quickly. I like to kind of think about things. And so as we're leaving, I'm like trying to process things. And my mom is like, oh, my goodness, like this, like this was made for you. Like you need to do this kind of thing. Um, and so that, so then that became the plan. And I, uh, you know, I applied and auditioned and got in. And um, so, you know, if people are wanting to become a music therapist in Canada, you either have to have a bachelor degree in music therapy, or um, if you have uh, like a different undergraduate degree, you can also do a graduate certificate in music therapy. And then you have to complete a 1000 hour clinical internship under a certified or accredited music therapist. So I did my undergraduate degree at the University of Windsor. And then uh, to complete my internship, I moved to Burlington, which is where I was doing long-term care and palliative care. Um, well, so, I mean, when I was, when I was in, um, when I was in my undergrad, you have a, an opportunity to do some different practicums. And so it was probably my third or fourth year that I became really interested in working with um, people who were dying and in palliative care. And so I knew when I wanted to do an internship, I knew like, you know, I wanted to do something in hospice care. Um, and then, like I said, after my internship, I was really lucky and I got um, a couple of contracts right out of my internship. So I was in, you know, the GTA for a couple of years and I opened my own practice there and I was doing some teaching on the side as well. And then while I was doing, you know, working in palliative, but also with uh, people with Alzheimer's and dementia, um, I had this opportunity to work at Camp Aaron for the first time. And so this is the first year, I think, and you weren't there that year, Joshua, but it was just um, this opportunity to work with grieving kids. I'd never done that before. I was interested um, and I, I'd worked with uh, bereaved adults. Um, so I took the contract and I did um, the drumming and, and went out to Camp Barron and that was so much fun. I really liked it. Um, but the work that I was mostly doing in Burlington at the time was uh, predominantly, you know, with Alzheimer's and dementia. And I was really, I felt like I was really missing uh, the palliative care part. And so um, I made the plan to kind of move back to my hometown. Um, the music therapist who was at the hospice in my hometown uh, was leaving and he offered me his contract, which was awesome. And so I moved back and uh, I think this was, this was in 2015. And um, I started at the hospice uh, in Sarnia and it was just like a contract, like I think four hours a week or something like that. Um, and then while I was, I think I, I think I started there in July or something. And then in August, the position of the children's program coordinator came up and my manager at the time like handed me the position and said, you need to apply for this. And um, so I applied <laughs> and in my, uh, in my interview, I said that I was only going to take the job if the hospice let me do both jobs <laughs> um, because I didn't want to let the music therapy piece go. And so they seemed to like that idea. And uh, so, yeah, so since, 20 like the fall of 2015 I've been the children's program coordinator slash music therapist at the hospice there um and it's been it's been really really great and it's nice for me too to kind of have um like a, a mix of duties and I get to work in a bunch of different programs and 
Um, so probably it ends up working out to about four days of my week is kids program and there might be music therapy in that. And then one day of my week split up as music therapy in either our residence. We have a day hospice program and I'll do music therapy there. Um, yeah. That's so cool. I'm glad you played hardball with them and you got what you wanted. Sometimes you got to do that, right? You got to, you got to demand something that's valuable to you. And I'm glad you did because, you know, I think what you're doing is very valuable and I don't hear it a lot. You know, like there's not a lot that I can see in different hospices that actually has a music therapist. So I think it's so amazing what you're doing. It's such a unique thing that connects people with their emotions that, you know, um, I wish there's just more of you around. Well, thank you. Yeah, I remember like, so I, you know, later on, I decided, I think in last year, I decided that I wanted to go back to school and get my master's degree. And so I, I decided to do social work that felt um, like the right fit for me. And it was going to broaden my skills. And, um, and because most of the positions like in hospice are posting for social workers. Um, but when they were trying, so, you know, I had to leave for three months to do a placement and when they were trying, like the management where I work had such a hard time replacing me because every time they Googled like music therapist, children's program, like ch- child bereavement, I just kept coming up. <laughs> and so they're like, we can't replace you. Like, we don't know how to. So yeah, there aren't a lot. I don't think, I don't know anybody else who has this, exactly the same job as I do, which is kind of nice. It's like, it's cool, you know? Yeah, I think, um, you know, things worked out and, and you know, you kind of fell in it seems like you fell into the right path early on, um, which is amazing. Uh, you know, this is actually something for like people who are artists currently and like, you know, maybe things aren't working for you as an artist or a musician. And, you know, this is a good path, I think, for people who have those skills. You know, there's tons of artists out there and like, you know, not everybody's going to make it, you know, on the pop charts or whatever. But like. Um, I think you can have a very fulfilling career, obviously, you know, well, actually, let's ask you, how fulfilled are you right now doing what you're doing? I, I definitely, when I'm with my clients, um, I love the work that I do. I feel, I do feel very fortunate, like that I have kind of fallen into that path um, and finding out what I, what, you know, fills my tank or whatever um, quite early. Um I do feel very fortunate to the work that I, I do. I, and, you know, you feel um, that you're making maybe not like a, a, it's not like I'm changing the world or anything, but definitely um, the work that I do with families, like they're so appreciative. Um, and then also, I mean, working at the hospice, we can provide services for free. So anybody can access them. Um, and that makes me feel good as well. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, I mean, I would say you are changing the world because, you know, you really think about it as on an individual level, you're making an impact on someone's life who can be immeasurable, you know, and then the community that's around you. So, you know, you're setting this example, like you said, they can't even find another uh, (laughs) music uh, therapist. And, you know, you're influencing those people around you. And then this this just changes the world on on that bigger picture. So, Mm -hmm. you know, don't sell yourself short on that. Mm hmm. Yeah, I definitely, and I, I mean, for me, I think it's important that I'm passionate about the work that I do. Like, I I, um, I know that's not really important for everybody, and that's okay, but for me, I, I feel passionate about working with bereaved children, and I think that it's definitely an area that we don't, um, you know, we live in, I'm sure you could both agree, like a, a death-phobic, grief-phobic society, and and so I I feel passionate about talking about how I mean, how we need to talk about this stuff, but also um, 
you know, talking about how to work with kids when there's someone who's died or who's dying and um, that they need to be a part of the conversation. And, um, you know, that's something that I also feel like I, I get to do a lot of education in my role as well. Um, and I really enjoy that, like when I get to speak or um, just like provide education to people about, you know, what is the typical experience of the bereaved child and, and what can we do as adults to support them and that kind of thing. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's absolutely amazing. And I, uh, I also want to say what Sean said, you know, I think the work you're doing is so valuable to the community as a whole. It's like sometimes you can't see the larger picture, but when you affect one person, you affect everyone they meet as they move forward in life. And that the reach of that is, is, is crazy. And like, I see it in my own work. And so I know what happens in your work because just by talking to you, I know you're, you know, you have a, you have a really good sense of, you know, who you are, what you want and how, and you're just, I guess you call it, your energy is just so calming. Like even just talking to you, I'm like, this is almost just, yeah, your voice is like its own sort of like music. And I'm just like very calm talking to you. And I could see a lot of people f- like feeling safe just with your the tone of your voice and also um, be able to share the things they want to share. So I think, yeah, like you are a very unique person. Your job title says it, but I think uh, in general, you're just a unique person. So yeah, so Sean said, don't cut yourself short, man. You are, as what they say, they, they say uh, you are light, I believe, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, yes, it's, it's, that, huh? it's music. Music is an adventure, and you're Bilbo Baggins. You know, you're Frodo taking these people on this journey. That's a terrible reference. <laughs> Not everybody's going to get that. Um, you're the Sherpa taking these people up Mount Everest on their musical adventure. Yeah. <laughs> I have That's never funny. been compared. I've never been compared in my life to Bilbo Baggins, but thank you. This is why people come on the podcast, uh, right? <laughs> right. No, yeah. I'm going on an adventure. I appreciate that. Like, thank you, thank you That's both a- for the kind words. Like, that's really cool. And I just wanted the, that comment of "I am light," or that's that's what your name means, right, Orly? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, um, actually, I think this is a good time to talk about your own loss. So, throughout your journey so far, have mm-hmm. you uh, suffered uh, your own loss? Yes, um, and it's really interesting. Like, I I'd always been interested in palliative care, and I don't really know why. Um, at this point in my life, I hadn't experienced a lot of. I, I really hadn't experienced any what I would call like formative losses. Um, but I just always felt drawn to death and dying. I don't know <laughs> what that means, but um, I've heard a lot of people say that like palliative care and like work with people who are bereaved and that kind of thing. It's a, it's a, it's something that chooses you. You don't necessarily choose it, but um, it's interesting. Like, cause I was trying to, you know, formulate my thoughts before we talked tonight. And I've actually had like grief dreams about, all of, including like the family dog that we euthanized when I was 18. Like I've had grief dreams about all of my more significant losses, which is interesting. Like I'd never really thought about that until, you know, I was kind of preparing for our conversation tonight. Um, so yeah, I mean, if we want to go in chronological order, like we did, we had, you know, we euthanized the family dog when I was uh, 18 in my first year of university. Um, my next experience was lot with loss or with death was kind of the one that shook me to my core. Um, and it was right when I was in the middle of a, uh, you know, an internship in palliative care where I was, you know, in around death and dying all the time. One of my best friends was killed in 2013. Um, and then in 2015, my grandfather died from, from cancer. So 
those are kind of my big three, specifically like my friend being the, the largest one of probably those things. And I've had, uh, yeah, grief dreams about all of those, which is interesting. Wow, that, that's tough. Because how old you were you when your friend died? I was 21 turning, I was, I was turning 22 that fall because I had my birthday and she was 20. And so can I ask how she died? Absolutely. Yeah. It's so, I mean, in a lot of ways, we don't know exactly what was happening um, or what happened because she was alone when she died. Um, so, you know, to preface, uh, we were roommates in university and there was, her name was Jesse. And so there was Jesse, my friend Christy and I, we were kind of like the three musketeers all year and uh, definitely, you know, felt really connected to each other and almost like sisters. And uh, so we were, uh, she was, uh, let me think. So we had, grad, or Christy and I were older than her. And so we had graduated university and we all kind of went our separate ways for the summer. And uh, she was home for the summer and I had just moved to Burlington to do my internship. Um, and just a lot of like a lot of, you know, really big experiences that year. I was graduating school. I was starting my internship. I was, I had just met the person that I'm now married to. And so there's just a lot of stuff going on at that time. And uh, Jesse was with um, some of friends from school and they were having a party um, and uh, they lived like, I mean, no one knows where this is, but essentially the middle of nowhere, you know, they live kind of rurally and they're way out in the country and uh, they would have parties in, you know, her friend's garage all the time. And so in the, you know, really late at night, she left the party to go to the washroom and everybody who was at the party, the next thing that they know is, you know, they're saying like, where's Jesse? And they go outside to find that a car has run over Jesse. And, um, you know, like, so, and then the person who had hit her said that she had been lying in the middle of the road. So we don't know, you know, we don't know if she, and, and it, like, it's all these questions, right? So, you know, was she really intoxicated? The the report that came back that had like analyzed her blood said that she had had maybe one drink. So, you know, it's not like she was so drunk that she like passed out on the road and it was like, so then was it intentional? And, you know, I like, was she, you know, suicidal? So all of these questions that came out and I mean, it was really, really late at night. And um, the kicker was earlier in the night, they had all been laying out watching the stars just because it was like really, you know, you could have done that on a country road any, any time, like any other time and probably not have had a car come by because of how remote it was. So, you know, what we ended up kind of thinking was that maybe she had gone out um, to lay under the stars and maybe had fallen asleep. But ultimately, like we like we don't know, like we don't know really what happened wow. there. Yeah. Yeah. So that like that'll mess you up pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, can you, t- can you take about... us through take us through that? Like and on how you process that? Because I know like I've never experienced that. And I think it's, you know. Um, a lot of people don't, but those who do, um, could you just take us through, like, how do you process that? And do you ever come to terms with the not ever knowing? Yeah. And I don't, I, I, like, I mean, I can take you through how I processed it and I don't know, I, I understand that this isn't, you know, the process for everybody, but, um, I remember that, like, so, you know, I was laying in bed next to my very brand new boyfriend at the time. And I got the call from our other friend who, um, 
you know, she was crying when she called me. And so I immediately thought like, oh, you know, her and her boyfriend have broken up or something like that. And, um, and she told me, you know, I have something really, really terrible to tell you. And I'm thinking, okay, like you're a bit, that's a bit overdramatic for, you know, you and so-and-so broke up or whatever. But, um, and then when she told me, it was just like, like complete shock. Like, and I'm like, are you sure that it's like, are you sure that it's Jesse? Like, did you check the last name? Like, I don't know if you're, she's like, no, it's like, it's, it's that person kind of thing. And it was a really, like for me, the, the reaction was not immediate. So then, you know, my poor brand new boyfriend, like I wake him up and I'm telling him, you know, this is what's happening kind of thing. And he has no idea what to do with me. And I haven't really responded. Like I haven't cried. I haven't really reacted. Like I'm just kind of thinking about this pondering, you know, what's going on. And I remember like I called my mom, um, you know, to let her know what was going on. Um, and really it was like, I just, I just, the whole day, I just, was thinking about it like I wasn't really responding I don't even think I to be honest I don't even think I cried until like a week later after the funeral like I just really needed that time to kind of think about it um and maybe it was like maybe this is you know I was in shock and it wasn't real to me yet but it was just crazy to think about like and then when you think about the circumstances like if she had waited 15 minutes if um you know, if like, if that cab hadn't, it was a cab that had, that runner had hit her. And so, you know, if they hadn't, if they had taken a different route, if they hadn't picked up those people right at the time that they picked them, like it just, all of those things that could have made it so that that event didn't happen. Um, you know, it was just like, it was, yeah, all encompassing, like trying to think about that and wrap my head around it. And then the next big thing that I remember was just being extremely irritable and angry because I think, and maybe I think that I hadn't come to my own meaning yet. I hadn't kind of finished processing and the things that people say, you know, to brief people about like when they try to like hand you the meeting, like, here, here you go. Don't be sad anymore. Like um, I was just so, I, like, I remember having like visceral reactions to people who told me things like, you know, God has a plan or, you know, God takes beauty or what is, there was one lady who, and I've, I've never come like quite as close to hitting like a person in public. She said something <laughs> along the lines of like, um, so yeah, so she had made uh, the family and everything, these beautiful rings and had taken like, uh, like silver wire and like had woven all these beads and stuff. It was like, they were really beautiful. And I still have mine. Like, I mean, obviously this experience did not scar me so much that I like threw the ring out or anything, but um, she, she said to me before she gave me the ring that she had been, you know, I was sitting in my crack room the other night and, um, I was just thinking about Jesse and then God spoke to me and God said, um, see these ordinary things like the wire and the beads and see how I can, I can take these things and bind them up and make them into something beautiful. And so I guess what she was trying to say is that all this pain is going to be beautiful someday. I don't. I don't know. And I, and I didn't say anything in the moment. I said, thank you. And I took the ring, but I was so angry because it, it was just like, you know what, maybe, maybe, maybe in 25 years, this might be a beautiful experience, which I highly doubt by the way, but it was like, you know what, this was, I don't, I don't think we had the funeral yet. Like it was just like, let this be a horrible, terrible, awful thing for right now, because I can't handle, you know, um, I can't think about it being a positive thing or, or just, you know, the other things that people say, like time heals all wounds or um, just, 
all of those like platitudes and stuff I had I was having like visceral reactions to all of those things that people were telling me and and I think it was because I was still processing and it took me a really long time and I know that like now looking back I know that I think everybody when you're a bereaved person you have to come to some meaning and so for some people the meaning is for some people the meaning is that God needed another angel in heaven and that like that you know this was their time and um but for me because of how like random it was like for me to be honest and I know this isn't the same for everybody the meaning is that there is no meaning like the meaning is that um you know shit happens and that uh that she was in the wrong place at the wrong time and that um and that and and that life is senseless sometimes and and that's the way it is kind of thing because I couldn't I can't I can't go there where I think of that there there was a plan in which my friend had to die in that way do you know what I mean um yeah, so, yeah. Like, so for me like the meaning yeah so for me it's like there there the meaning is that there is no meaning and I know that's not the same for everybody um and that it was just this random terrible thing that happened and then I think that um in my work you you I run into a lot of people who it's like same kind of like same ideas, right? Like the terrible accidents that no one could have predicted that where everything seemed to go wrong. Um, and you know, I can't, yeah. Anyway, so that's kind of the meaning that I, that I kind of my process, I guess. And I know it's not the same for everybody. Right. But for me anyways. Yeah. I think it's very, I think it's very true what you're saying in the sense that, you know, you have to understand if if you're the person saying those words, where someone is in their journey and what are you really trying to accomplish? Because really the goal is to sit with people and that's what you're doing, right? If they want to feel angry, let them feel angry. Don't put, you know, don't try to like put them in a different state, allow them to feel that. And that's, you know, that's the work you're doing right now with the, with the music and stuff. And so I think it's interesting how you said like, just, it was just random and to be okay, to come to terms with that. And I think, you know, like there's, there's beauty in that, like not needing to know the answer because some people can get carried away that they need to find the answer to feel better. You know, like if I find the answer, my pain will go away, but they're still dead. Right. Like, and, and so just coming to terms with their death and how, how random it was. And so I think that's amazing that you, you got there um, and you're able to sit with that. Do you still find yourself asking questions about it or are you okay with just not ever knowing? I'm pretty okay with not knowing. Um, the things that I think about now, yeah, I don't really dwell on those, like what what was it that happened, um, those like details about the night that it happened. Now I, I find that I think more about like, so in July it was the five-year anniversary. So she was 20 when she died. And so, I, you know, she never got to meet my husband. Um, you know, we got married last year and she wasn't one of my bridesmaids. Um, but she would have been right. And so I, I find myself thinking a lot about the, the plans that we had made that have died with her. And I also think about, you know, what would she be like at 25 now? You know, um, you know, would she like, she was a little bit behind us in school. Like, what would she have done? Would we have gone back to school together? You know, would, you know, who would you, who would she have fallen in love with? Like, where would she live? Like, so I find myself more thinking about that hypothetical in which, you know, she didn't die, right? The yeah. hypothetical in which, you know, she waited five minutes before going to the bathroom kind of thing. Um, and yeah, I, I, I get kind of, 
not wrapped up, but I just, it's just something that I, I guess, reflect on sometimes um, of that's, how things would be different. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it's good to bring up. And, you know, so like she, you're right, like you got married, you had a lot of um, things that she would have been involved with that she wasn't able to. I'm curious, <laughs> you know, when you're saying that, one of my thoughts was, I wonder who she would have kicked out of her wedding party <laughs> if Jess was still here. <laughs> but you don't have to answer that. We, we won't go there. But it's just very interesting how everything will shift, right? Like your life and like where they live and all that sort of stuff. I'm curious. <laughs> I'm really curious on the dream you had of her since you said you've dreamt of, you know, um, everyone so far. Um, what dream was it that you had of her after she died? So there was actually, there was two dreams. And when I was trying to, again, prepare for this conversation, I can't actually remember which one I had first. Um, and it was quite a while before I had a dream of her, whereas, you know, when we euthanized my dog, I had a dream that night. And then after my grandpa died, I think I had a dream, like, within six months, for sure. Like, um, but with her, it was probably, it was more than a year, I want to say. Um, and I wasn't really, you know, I know that some people kind of fixate on when am I going to have a dream? I really want to, and I just wasn't really thinking about that, but um, there was one dream and I don't remember if this was the first one or the the second one where I was, it was almost like I had been thrown back in time. Um, So I was myself, but I ended up meeting Jessie and she was a little girl Um, and she had like really short blonde hair and she was so cute and bubbly and full of life. And I think, like, I don't know why I was being introduced to her, how I got into that. It was almost like maybe I was a babysitter or something like that. Um, And, uh, you know, I have, there was just all these kind of like images of like me braiding her hair and me like playing with her and us like Mm -hmm. camping and doing all of these different things. And the whole time, all I was trying to figure out is how am I going to tell her how she's going to die so that she cannot like die. Right. So I'm like, okay, she's this little kid. Like, how am I going to, how am I going to like implant this thing into her so that she knows not to do that? Or, you know, how do I tell her parents? And so like, it was just doing all these fun things with her, like her child self. But then I was trying to figure out a way of like, okay, like how can we make it so that that night doesn't happen? Um, And so I don't remember. Yeah. Like, I don't remember if I ever actually said something to her. It was like, maybe I knew I couldn't. Um, and yeah, and then I, yeah, then I woke up. Such a cool dream. I don't like, I don't know if I've ever heard of something like that. I don't think I have. Yeah, That's so was, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, the other one that I had, I think was more. Wait, hold on, hold on. That goes so fast. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's so unique, but I think, you know, given the story of, you know, say like the randomness and wanting her to be saved, I can see, you can see that like throughout that image, right? And, you know, not knowing, right? Like how to, how to tell her, like how to give her a warning sign to at this day, at this time, like, don't do that. And so you just definitely yeah. see like what was on your mind at that, at those moments, but her being so young, that's like, do you, do you ever watch like sci-fi movie? That's like a sci-fi thing. You're going back in time. Like, are you into that kind of stuff at all? Yeah, I am a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, okay. Yeah. Well, cause I said, I've never heard that okay. before. and there are a lot of movies like like, that where they go back totally yeah like i yeah i mean um definitely i'm probably not like a hardcore sci-fi nerd or anything like that but i do enjoy movies that have those themes and stuff and um yeah yeah so how was it waking up from that dream do you can you remember so the first thing i did was i wrote it down um on my phone um because i didn't want because it was like oh my gosh like i have to remember this 
And I think I actually, actually, instead of writing it down, I just texted it to my friend Christy because it was like, oh my gosh, like you'll never believe what just happened. And then I think I just screen capped the text so I could see. And we were both like, holy crap, like, you know. Um, and so waking up, I felt I, it was kind of like this, oh my gosh, I have to, like, I need to tell somebody about this. But then it was also like sad waking up, right? Like just thinking about, um, you know, obviously, yeah, where my brain was at and, and that kind of thing. And, and then also, you know, thinking like, as I've reflected on this dream, like now for this conversation, you know, that whole time I could have been just enjoying my, like, in, you know, whatever in my dream, like I could have just taken the, it for what it was and that I was just enjoying time with Jesse as a child and making sure that she had lots of fun. And, um, but instead I was so consumed in the dream with like having, trying to figure out how to make sure she stayed safe. And it was like, you know, I wonder if there's other areas in my life where, you know, it's just about enjoying the time, right. And being present with whatever it is, you know, whatever the, cause she was so in the dream as a child, she was so joyful and like, it was just like so much fun. And I mean, like spending time with any child would be right. But, but yeah, so it was like, I could like, you know, thinking about what the, what does that mean for my life? You know what I mean? That was actually, um, I had a question. I had that question on my mind because um, I was, I was thinking during the dream, did you ever stop and kind of, you know, have that feeling like, man, I'm in this dream and then enjoy that, you know, look at her face and enjoy the happiness and all that. Cause that, that, that obviously is a dream. Things happen. You know, sometimes you can't control what, you know, what the direction of that dream is. Like I, I had a, I had a grief dream recently where, you know, I was concerned about questions, you know, instead of obviously, you know, I could, maybe I could have been enjoying the presence of my uncle, but I mean, did you ever yeah. have that? Cause, and, and obviously you said that, you know, you were kind of maybe more focused on the questions. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was a mix of both. I don't, and it's like, I don't exactly remember, but it is interesting. Cause like, I have always had like just myself, I've had a very active dream life, I would say like, and like I've had a lot of um, dreams where I have control over my dream. Like I remember as a kid, like if there were ever any scary dreams or whatever, I would be able to like freeze the monster, like before it got me kind of thing. Um, and so like, I have a pretty, like, so I've always been able to kind of, not always, but, but it's interesting. So like in bad dreams or like scary dreams, I could kind of like control things. But like, if there's ever like a good dream where I, I can fly or have some sort of super magical power, I can never control it in my dream. <laughs> never. I can never, like, I can never control my powers. So it's just interesting. Um, so, and, and in that dream, I couldn't, like, I wasn't, I, I don't know if I was aware that I maybe was aware that I'm dreaming. Like I'm usually pretty aware of that, but I didn't have control. Like, so, yeah. Oh, it's such an interesting dream. Thank you so much for sharing that. It just like adds to, I guess, my information on what dreams are possible out there. So you mentioned another dream of your friend. Uh, could you tell us about that? Definitely. And I, I feel as though this is probably the more um, stereotypical kind of, not stereotypical, but um, common maybe grief dream. So and I, and that's why I can't remember if it happened before my other dream or not, but, uh, it was nighttime and I was outside. Um, it was this like white house and I could tell in the backyard that there was like a bonfire, like a campfire going on. And I saw Jesse, um, 
And when I saw her in my dream, like I started to cry, but I was like, I don't know why I'm crying. Like, why does it matter to me that I'm like upset to see her? And she was also like, why why are you crying? (laughs) Kind of thing. Um, She had this like quizzical look about, yeah, me crying. And then just kind of shrugged me off and she was heading towards this campfire. So I started to follow her and she was like, no, no, you can't come kind of thing. It was like, oh, but I really want to come with you. She's like, no, you can't. Like, I have to go by myself. Um, And yeah, she seemed like in the dream, she seemed kind of distracted or like she was really focused on like she was kind of almost like yeah shrugging me off or not like annoyed with me but kind of like yeah um yeah like quizzical I don't know what the word would be um and then so it was kind of like no you can't come like I have to go by myself and then she went into the back and then yeah I woke up (laughs) that's so cool I've actually heard that a lot where the deceased will say like I gotta go or like it's time for you to go or you can't follow that's so interesting and what age was she because in the first dream she was really young is this age the age she died at Yes. Yeah. It was just, yeah, her normal self kind of thing, how I remembered her anyways. Wow. That's cool. It's cool that you had these dreams and you said you've had dreams of the other people you've lost too. I think that's amazing. And I, you know, I look forward to hearing that uh, next time we talk um, about those dreams, because I think, you know, all your dreams are very unique in their circumstance to the loss and, and who the person was to you. So thank you for sharing those. Uh, I know the listeners were uh, very love to hear, uh, love to hear those also. So, Sean, you want to wrap us up with the next question? Oh, our favorite question. Um, so, Orly, obviously you've listened to us before and you know this is coming, but we'd like to ask our guests if they could have a dream of, you know, their loved one that's passed away. And if they could uh, make that up, what would you want to have? If you could have that tonight. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I... I don't find myself like really, really like wishing and hoping that people will visit me in my dreams kind of thing. So like part of me is like, no, nah, I'm okay kind of thing. But I guess if, and it's funny because I've talked about not really needing to know the truth and being okay with things, you know, um, are being just unknown. But I guess it's like, if I had to choose, I guess I'd like to have a really lucid dream, like where I know that I'm dreaming, um, but it's with my friend. And then we just talk about what happened that night. Um, Hmm. and like, I don't, but that, and I almost feel like I'm just saying that because that just feels like the right, like that's just, well, of course you would want that kind of thing, but I don't actually know if that's like, I think I'd be okay just with, you know, seeing each other and talking and, you know, getting to hang out, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't, I was trying to think about how I would answer that question. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's funny, right? Because like our conversation definitely influences what people would say, right? Um, so, but you also mentioned too that you'd want your, you never got a chance to meet your husband. So would you want to dream like with her meeting your husband? Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. That would be, that is one <laughs> of like. <laughs> That's more in the yeah. present in the sense of the, yeah. <laughs> totally. But you, or like, yeah, maybe a dream where she like got to be a bridesmaid of mine. Yeah, I didn't really think about that. Oh, like, cool. You have um, another wedding? I like that. You have another wedding. She's a part of it. There you go. <laughs> you start stressing her out. This is supposed to be a good, she's stressed about her second dream wedding. <laughs> I know. Oh, man. I would not. Well, yeah. Wedding planning is not. <laughs> let's talk about location actually because that's a good uh, that's a good point where would you want to have this dream where would you want the dream to take place i know where you're gonna have it <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah in bed no yeah. um <laughs> while i'm driving <laughs> um yeah i think outside somewhere would be nice um it's nice 
Yeah, yeah, probably outside. Is this yeah. a dream wedding we're talking about? No, 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 we dropped the wedding. It's oh, okay. I'm not talking about dream the weddings. Dream. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. That's cool. So you guys are just talking and um, so like maybe um, we were talking about three dreams. I'm so confused on which location we're at here. Um, <laughs> I know, I know. I'm I, sorry. I have so much stuff. <laughs> yeah, at the end of the day, though, I think all those all those dream versions are really cool. Would there, did she have like a catchphrase or is there something that she used to say or, or do that like just resembled her? Hmm. Hmm. That's a good question. Yeah. I remember, I can't remember like any catchphrases or things like that, but she was just, um, and I, I think this is why I dreamed of her as a child is that she, was um very much like a child at heart and so you know thinking there was there was always the three of us and i had my own relationship with her and then my other friend had her own relationship with her and so like there was there was times where like um you know supposed to be studying for exams and christy and jesse made slime and like we're just playing with slime all night um or like um a time where it rained and they went out and like jumped in the puddles like uh, and maybe this was all just like procrastination from school <laughs> but like i just i have this really like her always being so carefree and uh really embracing that inner child and um and not that she was childish or immature but just that she she knew how to have fun like um just yeah really like fun loving like i remember there was one time where uh i went to like an open mic night and like the girls came with me so we all like got went out or whatever and um you know i'm playing at this open mic night or whatever and she's like screaming across the bar you're so much better than everybody else like just like hollering at me um That's yeah funny. so just yeah the one, like when i think about her i think of those things you know wow you know and and that seems like she learned an important lesson early on in uh excuse me, she learned a lesson early on in life, which is you should have, you know, have fun. You should have fun incorporated into it. You know, you shouldn't be taking life too seriously. I mean, when I was in university, there'd be a lot of students that were like, you know, straight books, sleep, stressed. I had a roommate who was super stressed all the time. And um, mm -hmm. I was probably the opposite, a little bit too much fun. But like, but I think like, you know, having the, that incorporated into a stressful environment like school and seeing a person like that in their true essence, in their light, you know, like, like your name suggests, I think is important. And that shows a lot. And, you know, this, it seemed like that was a friendship that probably would have been a lifelong type of thing for you and is actually think about it, a lifelong thing for you. Oh, absolutely. And like that roommate that you're describing was probably more like me. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and uh, I think I needed her to kind of show me like, you know, just chill out, you know, we, we can, yeah. let's make slime or let's, you know, let's go do something fun or, um, you know, you can loosen up a little bit and, um, yeah, embrace that, like that inner child thing. And, and, um, yeah, I definitely learned a lot from her in that way, you know? That's amazing. I think as it is, Sean was saying, she's like, it's like, I see her, I'm like, man, like, I wish she was alive. She sounds so much fun to be around because that's the people I love, right? Like I can find, you know, things very simple, like dancing in the rain. I don't know the last time mm -hmm. someone danced in the rain with me. I don't know when the last time I danced in the rain. So I might have to put on my uh, my list to do things this week. Um, but it seems right. like kind of crazy. But at the same time, it's it's definitely freeing. And 
that's what you need in such a stressful world. So I think that's super cool. Final question before we wrap up. What if you could think of a song that represented your relationship with her, what would that be? Oh, this is so hard. Oh my god. Uh, oh um confusing listeners. It's day I one. No <laughs> would it be Spice Girls? I, I know you're into that. I know. Or a group. Is there a group? No, you know what? It would either, although, no, actually, so uh, me, Christy, I have this vision of, or like this memory of me, Christy, and Jesse listening to Dr. Jones by Aqua, but mm. I would have to say it would have to be uh, something from Taylor Swift's Red album, because, oh, oh, you know what it was? Okay, so um, there was a time, I think, so I think it came out in the fall, so it was probably like the fall of the year that we all lived together, um, the email, or the, sorry, the album came out and they listened on like she listened nonstop to I Knew You Were Trouble by Taylor Swift all the time all the time it was driving me nuts so it'd probably be that <laughs> wait how, how's that go can you sing a little bit of that <laughs> oh my gosh if I hear the intro like there was a period of time where if I heard the intro to that song I would just be like oh my gosh but um how does it uh, yeah I don't even it's like um I knew you were trouble when you walked in. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's not very... Right. <laughs> I oh, didn't want to hear you sing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, that is a good song. That's a good cool. That's a good crew song. Yes, yeah. <laughs> was, or Dr. Jones by Aqua, yeah, which we cool. played at my cool. wedding. <laughs> I like that. That's amazing. I'm going to put a lot of these songs in the show notes so people can check them out on YouTube. They're probably a bunch of videos. Um, so anyways, it's such a cool conversation and I wish we could do this longer just because it's so interesting to me, the work you're doing, who you are and your experiences. And it seems that, you know, even though life has threw you some curveballs, uh, you're you're still helping others and you're still providing to light as you move forward. And, uh, you know, I can't wait to uh, to meet you at the, the Sarnia event that... Uh, at the talk that uh, at St. Joseph's Hospice, and uh, so we can like chat some more because I think uh, you're just a super cool person. Awesome, thank you. No, this was I was you know a little bit nervous about talking, but this was um, this was really easy and awesome to chat with both of you. I really I really enjoy talking with you both. Absolutely, and you know what? And and you really you honor the memory of your friend um, by speaking about her by coming on this podcast and sharing that about her. And, you know, you got us, you, you gave us a chance to get to know her. Uh, seems like a really cool person really fun. And um, that someone that's inspired you uh, a lot and it made you who you are. So uh, the work that you're doing again is, is amazing. And it's just nice to know someone like you who's, who's involved in it. You know, I, and again, shout out to artists out there. Uh, think about this line of work. You know, if, if if that's something you're interested, you like working with people, I think you'll get a lot of fulfillment out of it. And it's going to be great for you to to look into something like that if you are indeed uh, interested in music and interested in uh, helping people. Uh, so please check out our platform at griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic. If you have Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams Facebook group. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Grief Dreams. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, and lots of other podcasting platforms. Uh, Spotify is another one. Also, you know, we have video going on right now. So you can check us out on YouTube. Find us at Grief Dreams Podcast on uh, Instagram TV. You can check that out as well. Um, lastly, if you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, please email us your story and what you would like to share at Grief Dreams Podcast at gmail.com. So we like to end as always, with love and gratitude from us to you. 
have questions. I have introduced myself. You have introduced yourself. This is a very good conversation. <laughs>